This is Chapter 6, Conclusions in Pathological Lying Accusation and Swindling by William and Mary Healy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 6, Conclusions, Characteristics of the Individual Diagnosis, Physical Findings. Our 19 mentally normal cases, 18 females and 1 male, showed good general condition 14 fair general condition 2 poor general condition 1 poor development 2 poor development undersized for age 2 defective vision 6 headaches 4 mild nervous symptoms 2 tonsils and adenoids 3 fainting attacks 1 gynecological ailments 6 abdominal tumor etc 1 hutchinsonian teeth 2 stigmata of degeneracy three premature sex development two comparing the above with the findings by previous writers we see little chance to draw safe deductions so many of the foreign cases have been insane they can be more nearly compared with our seven borderline types where all sorts of physical conditions may be found it is notable that a large percentage of our mentally normal cases are in good general condition Defective vision in six cases may be only a coincidence, but perhaps resulting nervous irritation was sometimes a factor in producing misconduct. Headaches, which Stemmerman makes so much of, appear as an incident in only a small number of our cases. Her emphasis on periodicity also we cannot corroborate. There are hints of it in only one or two instances, but then her cases for the most part are not comparable to ours. That six out of eighteen females should have had severe gynecological ailments is not to be wondered at, considering the trend of their lives, but in turn there can be little doubt that, as in cases 16, 18, and 21, the local irritation tended to bring about moral disabilities. Mental Findings Considering first the question of mental capabilities, we can classify our 19 normal cases as follows supernormal inability two precocious later still considered right one good ability six fair ability perhaps not quite up to the former classes six poor ability one poor ability hysterical type one poor in general but with artistic and literary ability one dull from physical causes but later normal one over and beyond the above enumeration, there were some intensely interesting facts which came out during the intimate study of these cases. We are at once forced to agree with previous writers that an unusual number of the pathological liar group show great aptitude for language. This is shown by their general conversational ability and by the fact that many of them have found out themselves that they had capacity, for instance, for writing compositions taking our group of pathological liars in the strict sense as given in chapter three we find that no less than seven of these twelve have been given to writing compositions and stories three of them had definitely commenced long stories or novels it is most unusual among other offenders to find evidence of any such tendencies a considerable number of our group were characterized as great talkers and several as romantic dramatic fantastic etc even by ordinary observers all this goes to show clearly that the native traits making for verbal fluency are strongly correlated with pathological lying 
when it comes to consideration of such an instance as case eleven we have the point more strongly brought out here the individual is fairly swung down his life's course as the irregularity of his capacities direct his language ability carries him along as nothing else will in corroboration of this interesting point the conclusions of other authors should be noted the aberrational types which show pathological lying are several of them depicted in our chapter six but little in summary of them needs to be said the general mental and moral weakness of the constitutional inferior very naturally leads him to become a pathological liar he follows by virtue of his make-up the path of immediate least resistance lying the episodic lying or aimless false accusations of the choreic psychosis needs no comment the confusional mental state sometimes accompanying that disease readily predisposes toward fantastic treatment of realities the relationship of constitutional excitement to pathological lying is less well recognized but fully explicable when we recollect the rate at which ideas present themselves in the mental content of such individuals who have little time as it were to discriminate the true from the false the mental conditions leading to purposeless prevarication which supervene in the real hysterical mental states or during the course of traumatic psychoneurosis are well known the individual is to be surely regarded as least temporarily as suffering from a psychosis in many of these instances and falsification while it may be difficult to distinguish between delusion and lying is a well-recognized phenomenon the very deliberate lying of psychopathic individuals such as case twenty five who though so strongly aberrational do not fit under the head of any of the classic insanities is a matter for earnest consideration by all who have to deal with delinquents there is altogether too little general knowledge of this type of fact the correlation of the various epileptic mental states with pathological lying is well recognized in many of the cases cited by foreign writers it has turned out that the individual was subject to epileptic seizures it is another illustration of the great variety of epileptic phenomena something of a point has been made in the literature heretofore that abnormalities of sexual life are unduly correlated with the inclination to pathological lying and the conclusion is sometimes drawn as by stemmermann that the two prove a degenerative tendency our material would not tend to show this nearly as much as it would prove that the psychical peculiarities follow on a profound upset caused by unfortunate sex experiences a characteristic of pathological liars is undoubtedly a deep-set egocentrism as risch states if one goes over our cases it may be seen that there is exhibited frequently in the individual an undue amount of self-assertion there is very little sympathy for the concerns of others and indeed remarkably little apperception of the opinions of others how frequently the imagery of the heroic role of the self recurs and how frequently it occupies a central stronghold is seen by the fact that nearly all of our cases indubitably demonstrate the phenomenon most of our cases have been studied by the application of a wide range of tests indeed many of the individuals have been studied over and over it is beyond our point at present to go over the separate findings because there is no evidence of a strong correlation of any type of peculiarity except the ones mentioned here with the pathological lying memory processes for instance as ordinarily tested seem to be normally acute 
we have naturally been much interested in the result of the Osage or testimony test work with this present group on account of the possibility of demonstrating correlations between laboratory work and the individual's reactions in social intercourse, particularly when there has been falsification upon the witness stand. In general, we may say that while we have seen normal individuals who are not falsifiers do just as badly as a number of these individuals, yet for the group the findings are exceedingly bad. Perhaps the best way of stating it would be to say that not one case shows the sturdily honest type of response which is frequently met with during the course of testing other delinquents, even as young as the youngest of the cases cited here. Our findings stand in great contrast, we note, to the results of other test work. When looking at the table given above, we see that a large share of our 19 normal cases are up to the average in general ability, and yet as a group they fall far below the average on this testimony test. Take cases 8 and 9, for instance, both of them bright girls with indeed considerable ability in many directions, and yet both of them give a large number of extremely incorrect items in reporting what they saw in the Osage picture, and also both accept a very large proportion of the suggestions offered. It seems as if frequently in these cases there is no real attempt to discriminate what was actually seen in the picture from what might have been in a butcher shop. In most cases, the fictitious items were given upon questioning, but without the offering of suggestions. When the individual was allowed to give merely free recital, the result was better. This, however, follows the general rule. A general survey of work on other tests has not shown anything immediately significant in correlations, and this makes the result upon the Osage much more notable. Perhaps it may be argued that if these individuals had been told to key themselves up to do this test well, being forewarned that otherwise it would reveal their weaknesses, they could have done better. Some hint of this may be seen in our story of the results of the tests in Case 3, but of course the same might be argued about the other test work where no such tendency to poor results was discernible. The following table, with a word of explanation, will serve to bring out results on this test clearly to even the reader unfamiliar with the specific details of this subject. A general description of the test is found in our introduction. What follows is a table of four columns. The first is headed case and gives the case number. The next is headed items reported and has two sub-columns, free recital and on questioning. The third heading is items incorrect, under that are number and percent. The fourth heading is suggestions, with the subheading denominator equals number offered, numerator equals number accepted. So it would read this way. On case 16, 16 responses were given on free recital with two totally fictitious. On questioning, 12 responses were given with one totally fictitious. Of the items incorrect, there were three for 10% of the responses. Suggestions, two out of seven, were accepted. In case 15, 10 items were given on free recital with none in error. On questioning, 14 items were given with three in error. The total number incorrect was three, or 12% of the total. Two out of five suggestions were accepted. Case 4, 12 responses were given on free recital, all correct. On questioning, 28 responses with 6 incorrect. 
six total incorrects or 15 percent of the responses three out of four suggestions were accepted in case 19 15 items were given on free recital with two incorrect eight items were given on questioning with two incorrect four incorrect responses for 17 percent of the total four of the six suggestions were accepted for case three 17 responses were given on free recital with two incorrect 20 on questioning with five incorrect seven incorrect responses or 19 percent of the total none of the six suggestions was accepted in case seven 11 responses on free recital with two incorrect on questioning 17 with four incorrect six incorrect or 21 percent of the responses two of the five suggestions were accepted in case six 17 responses on free recital with one incorrect 12 on questioning with six incorrect seven incorrect for 24 percent of the total one of seven suggestions was accepted in case 13 eight items were given on free recital all correct on questioning 21 were given with seven incorrect seven incorrect for 24 percent of the total four of the four suggestions were accepted in case eight 16 free recital responses all correct on questioning 28 responses with 12 incorrect 12 incorrect total for 27 percent of all the responses five of the seven suggestions were accepted in case nine 12 items were given on free recital all correct on questioning 32 were given with 12 incorrect 12 incorrect is 27 percent of all the responses six of the seven suggestions were accepted in case 14 seven items were given on free recital all correct on questioning 21 were given with eight incorrect the eight incorrect is 28 percent of the total responses four of the seven suggestions were accepted in case two ten responses were given on free recital all correct on questioning 12 were given with seven incorrect seven incorrect is 32 percent of all responses one of the five suggestions was accepted in case 20 six items were given on free recital all correct nine were given on questioning eight incorrect the eight incorrect is 53 percent of the total two of the five suggestions were accepted that's the end of the table only 13 of our 19 mentally normal cases were found to have had the Osage test done so uniformly that results could be fairly compared, as in the above table. The reader will find it easy to refer back to the case for noting other correlations with behavior. In the first double column, the items which were given on free recital come first, and in the second part of the number of positive responses to questions by the examiner. The coefficients attached to these represent the number of egregious errors or entirely fictitious items given. It should be clearly understood that slight deviations from facts, for instance in color, are not accounted as errors for our present purposes. In a later study on this whole topic of the psychology of testimony, there will be much more complete itemizing. The errors in which we are particularly interested can perhaps be called pure inventions. In the next double column is given first the total number of incorrect items and then the percentage of these to the total number of items reported. In the last column, suggestibility is dealt with. 
we have been accustomed to offer seven suggestions asking the individual whether such and such things which might well be in the butcher shop really appeared in the picture for several reasons not all of the seven suggestions were asked in every case therefore the result is best viewed as a statement in fractions the numerator being the number of suggestions accepted and the denominator the number of suggestions offered as a last statement on this question which we put to ourselves namely whether pathological liars show the same traits in the laboratory as they do on the witness stand or in general social life we can answer in the affirmative we may repeat that others have made as bad records as some of this group but taking the group as a whole it is unlike any random thirteen cases which might be picked out from our other classes of mentally normal offenders on the other hand many a feeble-minded testifier has done vastly better than the median of this group the errors themselves are of the purely inventional type such as your ordinary report from a mentally normal person does not contain there is perhaps one interesting exception to this case three the report given by this subject included egregious denials of some of the main objects in the picture and so was fictitious to this extent she did not say that she did not know whether these to be expected objects really were in the picture she insisted that they were not so far as suggestibility is concerned there are great differences among even normal people in all classes for comparison with the above group we may take sixty-three cases of mentally normal delinquents all of whom had been offered the full seven suggestions the median error of this group was two lower than the fraction thus obtained was the result on only four of the present cases we have been interested to see that with some of the pathological liars there is no great suggestibility the person is willing to deal in his own inventions but not with false ideas which others attempt to put in his mind diagnosis the essentials for the diagnosis of pathological lying are contained in the definition at the beginning of our book the above considerations of the physical and mental makeup of pathological liars should leave little question as to what belongs in this class of course here as in the study of any mental traits borderline cases difficult to discriminate will always be found sometimes one will not be able to determine whether the individual is a true pathological liar or merely a prevaricator for a normal purpose we have already stated our inability to determine this in some cases and yet the nucleus of the type stands out sharply and clearly and there can be no doubt as to what is practically meant by the definition the differential diagnosis involves consideration of the characteristics of the insane defective and epileptic we repeat that we agree that the mentally abnormal person may engage in pathological lying quite apart from any expression of delusions and that during the course of such lying the insanity may not be recognized this occurred in many of the cases cited in the foreign literature and if the prior histories of many individuals now in insane hospitals were known undoubtedly such lying would be frequently noted but once the person is recognized as insane he need not be classified as a pathological liar this term should be reserved as we stated previously for normal individuals who engage in pathological lying of course other observers have noted such lying in people who could not be designated as being mentally abnormal but our material is peculiarly rich in examples of this kind correlations studied for causes heredity 
We come now to a very interesting group of facts, showing at once complete corroboration of previous observers' statements that pathological liars are extraordinarily erbliche belastet. Taking our 19 mentally normal cases, we find the following. Insanity in the direct family, four of these being apparent, six. One or both parents severely alcoholic, six. Criminal or very dissolute parent, four. Suicide of parent, one. Extremely neuropathic parent, one. Syphilitic parent, two. Epileptic parent, one. Unsatisfactory data, two. Reliable data showing normal family stock, two. Thus, out of the 19 cases, there are only three or four which do not come of stock, showing striking defects. Now, as we go on to show later, that unfortunate conditions or experiences were often causal factors, the total findings seem to show clearly that these latter influences generally bore their unfortunate fruition upon inherited instability. The heredity in the borderline cases is, as might be expected, even worse. These facts are easily discerned in their respective case histories. The question of inheritance of similar mental traits is, of course, important. We have found absolutely no proof of the trait of pathological lying as such being inherited. The reader will note with interest particularly the facts in cases 2 and 4, where we at first thought we had to deal with inheritance, but later found there was no blood relationship between the supposed parent and child. In those instances, the lying of the younger individual was much more likely to be the result of psychic contagion, and this also may be largely the explanation of cases 6 and 8, where an older relative was well known to be a prevaricator. The bad inheritance in these cases then turns out to be, corroborating what we found in studying the general problem of criminality, a matter of coming from stock that shows defects in various ways, all making, however, in the offspring for moral instability. Developmental Physical Conditions Inquiry into our 19 mentally normal cases gave the following findings antenatal conditions were defective in two cases on account of syphilis and in one case from advanced age of the mother the accident during pregnancy to the mother in one case the severe mental shock in another and the effect of illegitimacy in still another we cannot evaluate in two cases there were operative births with however no bad results known one was a twin early severe disease of the nervous system was experienced by one and convulsions during infancy by two others another suffered from some unknown very severe early illness and one from prolonged digestive disturbance in infancy three had in early childhood several severe illnesses one had a long attack of chorea two suffered from general nervousness incited in one case by the excessive use of tea and in the other by a similar use of coffee one was an habitual masturbator from childhood difficult menstruation was reported in only one case in five cases there was a quite normal early developmental period according to reliable accounts in three cases the early developmental histories are completely unknown and in three others uncertain the data of developmental history in the borderline types may be easily noted in the case histories previous ailments ailments suffered from in our nineteen cases after the early developmental period amount to very little 
the several gynecological troubles have been mentioned above under the head of physical conditions in one other case there had been urethritis previously head injuries which play such a significant part in the study of criminalistics find no place in our mentally normal series but should always be kept in mind in considering the borderline types epilepsy as a possible factor in criminalistic problem cases is to be remembered habits we have already mentioned the effect upon nervous conditions of excessive tea and coffee in two of our cases masturbation including its indirect effect particularly upon the psyche appears to be very important feature of these cases we should be far from considering that we have full data on all of our cases and yet this stands out most strongly we have had positive reports from relatives or from the individual showing this certainly to be a factor in seven out of the nineteen cases this is a very large finding when it is considered that the data are frequently unobtainable of course we are not speaking here of masturbation per se but only the fact of its ascertained relationship to the pathological lying this is only part of the whole matter of sex experience which we find upon gathering our material together plays such an enormous role age of onset it is very easy to see that the tendency to pathological lying begins in the early formative years common sense observation of general character building would tend to make us readily believe that if an individual got through the formative years of life with a normal hold upon veracity he would never become a pathological liar we can see definite beginnings at certain critically formative periods as in case six and perhaps in case three but our material shows that most cases demonstrate more gradually insidious beginnings case twenty one is in this respect in a class by itself as we stated in our introduction it is clear from the previous studies of older individuals that the nature of the beginnings were not learned because it was too late our material offers unusual opportunities in this direction and shows the fact of genesis in childhood most clearly for specific and often most interesting details we refer the reader to our various case histories sex our findings show only one male out of nineteen mentally normal cases a general observation by practical students of conduct namely that females tend to deviate from the truth more readily than males is more than thoroughly borne out here there are certainly several social and psychological reasons for this but they need not be gone into here if our figures seem not to be corroborated by the findings of previous studies it is only because the figures are not comparable the latter have mixed the mentally abnormal with the pathological liars proper it will be noted that in our examples of borderline cases five out of the eight are males cases of pathological swindling by mentally abnormal individuals such as we have avoided make up much of the foreign literature we can easily see that the social opportunities for swindling are vastly greater for males than those offered to the opposite sex sex differences as in many instances must not be taken here too seriously because social environment differing so greatly for the sexes is largely responsible for the behavior which we superficially judge to be entirely the expression of innate characteristics environment we are far from feeling that a mere enumeration of material environmental conditions tells the story of environmental influences important to our present subject 
the psyche is frequently most profoundly affected by environmental conditions which even a trained observer would not detect but conditions in the total number of unselected cases show something and for whatever it is worth we offer the following enumeration of environment in our nineteen normal cases who with much more reason might be expected to be largely influenced by surroundings than our group of borderline cases reasonably good home from birth five defective home conditions through poverty two very ignorant parents two immoralities in home life six marked defect in parental control six very erratic home conditions parent abnormal one early mental experiences as will have been observed by the reader in going over the case histories the early mental experiences of many of our group of mentally normal pathological liars have been shockingly bad full appreciation of this can only be gained through perusal of the text but here we may call attention to the fact that no less than eight of the nineteen have had very early untoward sex experiences that five were markedly under the influence of bad companions including even the influence in one or two cases of vicious grown people the sex experiences we have just enumerated were received through others we are not here speaking of masturbation which is discussed above psychic contagion direct contagion of the tendency to lie seems more than likely to take place at least during the more plastic periods of life it may be that this only develops when there is some sort of predisposition to instability our related findings on defective heredity would seem to indicate the fact it should be noted that in five instances out of our nineteen mentally normal cases two four six eight and twenty some other member of the household we learned from reliable sources was known as a chronic prevaricator mental conflicts the fact that several of our cases started lying from the time when there occurred some experience accompanied by a deep emotional context and that this experience and the emotion was repressed seems to point clearly to the part which repressed mental life may play in the genesis that as children they kept to themselves secrets of grave import and dwelled long on them shows in a large number of our cases anything deeply upsetting such as the discovery of the facts of sex life or questions about family relationships are the incidents which cause the trouble for students of modern psychology nothing more need be said on this point the concrete issues are perceivable in the case histories adolescence quite apart from the age of onset we may consider the physical and psychical instabilities of adolescence as effective causes of pathological lying of course it is equally true that many other tendencies to peculiarity are accentuated at this period it has been suggested that cases which have their origin largely in the unstable reactions of adolescence have much the better prognosis but it seems that not enough evidence has been accumulated as yet to justify us in this conclusion which we acknowledge may prove to be true irritative conditions in the same way the various types of irritative conditions physical and mental may be considered as exciting moments individuals with a tendency to pathological lying will no doubt show aggravation of the phenomenon at periods of particular stress we have heard it suggested in several cases by relatives that the menstrual period for instance brings about an excess of tendency to prevarication 
we would grant the point without conceding this exciting factor to be a fundamental cause case twenty one we may say again illustrates a special fact the periodicity which stemmerman makes much of may merely mean succumbing during a period of psychological stress social stress also may be met by pathological lying in the same way that the individual who finds himself in a tight place may attempt to get out of it by running away we have already spoken of the likeness of social and physical stress as showing when the weak individual is brought to bay that pathological lying does not run an even course but shows remarkable fluctuations with powerful exacerbations is undoubtedly to be explained by changes of inner and outer stress habit formation the influence of habit in causing chronicity must always be definitely reckoned with it is hardly necessary to say more than a word on the subject even the individual as in cases eight nine and ten comes to strongly realize it particularly is this point to be estimated in considering the possibilities of a rapid cure special mental abilities once more for the sake of completeness in giving a category of causes we should call attention to the fact acknowledged by all thorough students of this subject namely that other conditions being equal it is particularly the individual who has linguistic abilities who is especially good at verbal composition that seems to have most incentive to dally with the truth but beyond this we would insist that a combination of verbal ability with proportionate mental defects in other fields gives a make-up which finds the paths of least resistance directly along the lines of prevarication social correlations the role played in society by the pathological liar is very striking the characteristic behavior in its unreasonableness is quite beyond the ken of the ordinary observer the fact that here is a type of conduct regularly indulged in without seeming pleasurable results and frequently militating obviously against the direct interests of the individual makes a situation inexplicable by the usual canons of inference to a certain extent the tendencies of each separate case must be viewed in their environmental context to be well understood for example the lying and swindling which center about the assumption of a noble name and a corresponding station or affecting the life of a cloister brother such as we find in the cases cited by longard show great differences from any material obtainable in our country in interpretation of this one has to consider the glamour thrown about the socially exalted or the life of the recluse a glamour which obtains readily among the simple-minded people of rural europe then too this very simple-mindedness with the great differences which exist between peasant and noble leads in itself to much opportunity for cheating with us especially in the newer work of courts which are rapidly becoming in their various social endeavors more and more intimately connected with many phases of life the pathological liar becomes of main interest in the role of accuser of others self-accuser witness and general social disturber here again we may call attention to the fact which is of great social importance namely that the person who is seemingly normal in all other respects may be a pathological liar it might be naturally expected that the feeble-minded who frequently have poor discernment of the relation of cause and effect including the phenomena of conduct would often lie without normal cause 
As a matter of fact, there is surprisingly little of this among them, and one can find numerous mental defectives who are faithful tellers of the truth, while even, as we have found by other studies, some are good testifiers. Exaggerated instances of the type presented by Case 12, where the individual, by virtue of language ability, endeavors to maintain a place in the world which his abilities do not otherwise justify and where the very contradiction between abilities and disabilities leads to the development of an excessive habit of lying are known in considerable number by us many of these mentally defective verbalists do not even grade high enough to come in our borderline cases and yet frequently by virtue of their gift of language the world in general considers them fairly normal they are really on a constant social strain by virtue of this and while they are not purely pathological liars, they often indulge in pathological lying, a distinction we have endeavored to make clear in our introduction. It stands out very clearly, both in previous studies of this subject and in viewing our own material, that pathological lying is very rarely the single offense of the pathological liar. The characteristics of this lying show that it arises from a tendency which might easily express itself in other forms of misrepresentation. Swindling, sometimes stealing, sometimes running away from home, assuming another character and perhaps another name, may be the results of the same general causes in the individual. The extent to which these other delinquencies are carried on by a pathological liar depends again largely upon environmental conditions. For instance, truancy is very difficult in German cities. A long career of thieving under the better police surveillance of some European countries is less possible than with us, while swindling, for the reason given above, seems easier there. Running away from home and itineracy show in a wonderfully strong correlation with pathological lying, both in previous studies and in our own material. Several authors, particularly Stemmermann, in her survey of the subject, comment on this. This phenomenon, not only on account of the numerical findings, but also from a logical standpoint, is easily seen to be the expression in another form of conduct of the essential tendencies of the pathological liar. It is part of the general character, instability, the unwillingness to meet the realities of life, the inclination to escape consequences. As a matter of fact, frequently the pathological liar gets himself in a tight place by lying, and then the easiest escape is by running away from the scene. The delinquencies of our present group, as given below, can, with profit, be compared with our previous statistics on a large group of offenders. We gathered the facts concerning a series of 1,000 carefully studied, youthful, repeated offenders. Of 694 male offenders, 261 were guilty of running away, to the extent that it made a more or less serious offense. Of 306 female offenders, 76 committed the same type of offense. For comparison with the present group, it is to be remembered that 18 out of the 19 mentally normal pathological liars were females. Running away, normal cases 12, borderline 6. Stealing, normal 7, borderline 6. Swindling, normal 7, borderline 2 vagrancy normal zero borderline four attempted suicide normal zero borderline two 
Sex offenses, normal 8, borderline 1. False accusations, normal 10, borderline 4. Self-accusations, normal 3, borderline 2. Abortion, normal 1, borderline 0. We have given figures on false accusations here, including other cases than were enumerated in our special chapter on the subject. In that chapter, the center of interest was on the false accusation, but it is true that in certain other cases of pathological lying, false accusations were indulged in as a somewhat minor offense. The nine cases enumerated as swindlers showed this offense in varying degrees, as might naturally be expected by the difference in ages, which, if nothing else, makes for variations in the evolution of social and character tendencies. Perusal of the cases shows the small beginnings as well as the flagrant offenses on this order. As we previously have stated, we have avoided dealing with the older careers of notorious swindlers. The nature of the sex offenses can be learned from the case histories by those who wish to make special inquiry. Masturbation we have regarded more as a causative factor and have spoken of it in a previous section truancy we have not enumerated it goes without saying that it had been indulged in by practically all of the males and by a considerable number of the females in our cases the observer of delinquents cannot help being constantly impressed by the fact that the offense of lying seems to the usual offender small in proportion to the commission of other criminalistic deeds particularly does this come out when one observes the chronic liar growing up in a household where grave sex and other delinquencies are habitual occurrences should his lying be compared with those major antisocial transactions indeed it might be a field for speculation as to whether given certain qualities of mind imaginative powers etc pathological lying may not play the part of a vicarious delinquency being to the delinquent apparently less pernicious than more objective offences in our case histories may be seen some indications of this prognosis treatment in discussing prognosis and treatment, we can eliminate at once considerations of pathological lying by the insane. The outcome there depends upon what can be done for the underlying psychosis. We have avoided intimate discussion of these cases, but many suggestions of the unalterableness of the full-fledged tendencies among the insane are found in the European literature cited by us. Even discussion of the outcome of the borderline cases, such as we have given examples of, needs but short shrift. Everyone knows the extreme difficulties of dealing with constitutional inferiors. Marked cases are socially fit only for proper colonization. The epileptic, in default of cure of his disease, is ever going to be prone to many peculiar mental states, which may involve pathological lying. The slight mental confusion of chorea, which may lead to false accusation, as we have seen in case 23, is one of the most curable of all abnormal mental states. With proper attention to diagnosis and treatment, favorable outcome of cases of hysteria, such as that in case 24, is frequently seen. Another type, which cannot be handled except by permanent segregation, is the thoroughly aberrational and socially dangerous class represented by Case 25, however one designates the type. Much more undoubtedly can be done for such a borderline individual as Case 12. 
if there is sufficient cooperation among educational and reformatory institutions and the courts. It has seemed to us that the chief cause of failure in this interesting case has been the fact that this young man could go on ever entertaining new social situations and finding new worlds for exploitation because no one had the means at hand for securing facts concerning his past or for ascertaining what any good diagnostician could easily perceive to be his limitations and tendencies very much more to the point is consideration of the actual and possible outcome in cases of pathological lying by normal individuals here, as in other matters where bodily, mental, and social issues are blended, no prognosis or outlook can be rationally offered without consideration of possible changes in the circumstances peculiar to the given case. First and foremost stands out the fact that cure of the tendency sometimes happens even after long giving way to it. In this statement we are not contradictory to some previous writers as stemmerman says out of the general literature there is not much from which one can deduce any principles of prognosis but again we would insist that one of the great weaknesses has been that earlier studies have not carefully distinguished between the mentally normal and the abnormal cases of pseudologia fantastica when for instance forel speaks of pathological liars as being constitutionally abnormal individuals who are not curable he fails to differentiate where profitable differentiation can be made if our own work is of any practical value it is in offering safer grounds for prognosis and treatment stemmerman summarizes well her follow-up work done upon cases seen years previously by other observers some of these are still in institutions after a period of well-doing, several of these have become backsliders and reverted again to lying and swindling. Very few appear to have been cured, but yet some of the facts of betterment are most convincing. This author states that at the most one dares to ponder over the point as to whether there are not cases which recover, particularly when the pathological lying is a phenomenon of adolescence our own material is in part too recently studied to form anything like a generalization concerning prognosis many years have to elapse before one can be sure there is not going to be a recurrence but one is not altogether certain that prognostic generalizations are of practical worth for this group of mentally normal pathological liars so many incidental factors of physical mental and social life with all of the complicated background of the same come in to make the total result that experiment and trial with the individual case while hesitating to give an exact prognosis is perhaps the only sane procedure what we do know definitely is the immensely favorable outcome in cases one four seven nineteen and the promising betterment in several other instances all in direct contradiction to what we had expected from a survey of the previous literature in several of these cases the years have gone by with nothing but steady improvement the difficulty in getting adequate treatment either in home life or by necessary individual attention elsewhere makes it impossible to say that many of the others also could not have been favorably influenced frequently a total alteration of environmental conditions is necessary and this of course is often very difficult to obtain 
Also, it is extremely rare that one can get the whole matter and its sure social consequences fairly and squarely met by anybody with influence over the individual. Until this can be done, little in the way of good results may ever be expected. The splendid attack made by relatives or others upon the situation in cases 1, 4, 7, possibly 14, and 19 tells the story of the prime necessity for adequate handling of pathological lying. Specific treatment of physical conditions should always be undertaken when necessary. It should go without saying that any individual who is open to the temptations of inner stress should be strengthened at all points possible and relieved from all sources of irritation but lest any one should become too much persuaded of the efficacy of surgical or other treatment it should be remembered that the psychical reactions even where there is physical irritation involve the definite wearing of neural paths with habit formation which bodily treatment can only slightly alter an enticing problem to the gynecologist is always the relationship of pelvic, particularly sexual irritations, to conduct. We cannot confirm the idea of a prime causal connection of this particular, although we have evidence that betterment of the physical ailment may lead to less inclination towards the unfortunate behavior. In case one, the lying came long before pelvic disease was acquired, but very likely the irritation of the latter led to an accentuation of the psychical phenomena. In case six, the typical conduct was persisted in after remedy of the pelvic disorder, so also in case three, after relief of abdominal conditions, and in case twenty-one, after cessation of pregnancy. Other points bearing upon this may be read in our case histories. On the general problem of the possibility of physical treatment, it will be noted that a considerable share of all our cases were in good general condition. In discussing treatment, great emphasis should be placed upon the primary necessity for directly meeting the pathological liar upon the level of the moral failures and making it plain that these are known and understood. It is very certain that frequently this type of prevaricator has very little conception of the social antagonism which his habit arouses. There is faulty apperception of how others feel towards the lying and to what depths the practice of this habit leads. Appreciation of these facts may be the first step towards betterment. In several of the improved cases, we have mentioned that it was largely the acquirement of social foresight which made the first step in a moral advance which finally won the day in this whole matter the first ethical instruction may well be based upon the idea of self-preservation after all the backbone of much of our morals when it comes to specific details of treatment these must be educational alterative and constructive in cases one and three under treatment we know that when the lying was discovered or suspected the individual was at once checked up and made to go over the ground and state the real facts the pathological liar ordinarily reacts to the accusation of lying by prevaricating again in self-defense but when with the therapeutist there has been the understanding that the tendency to lying is a habit which it is necessary to break the barricade of self-defense may not be thrown up. An alternative measure of great value, then, is directly to meet the specific lie on the spot, as it were, when it is told. 
Next, accuracy of report may well be practiced as a special discipline. In these normal cases, we have seen that there could be little doubt about the individual having self-control enough to stick to the truth if the will was properly directed. Indeed, many of our cases were exceptionally bright individuals with many good powers of observation and memory. Had one the opportunity, there can be little doubt but that training in the power to do well on such a test as that afforded by the Osage picture would have yielded good results. Indeed, there is some suggestion of this in our table of findings on this test, where we note the pathological liars, when left merely to themselves and their first often comparatively meager report on the picture, give few incorrect details. The difference in their report, as compared with other observers of the picture, was found when they answered questions. Since this is the case, there can be little question that training in the power to respond accurately might be gained. It may be of value in considering therapeutics of pathological lying to enumerate the general run of treatment which was carried out in those instances where we knew that betterment took place. Nearly always only a part of what we advised could be carried out, but even so a brief statement of the conditions under which betterment was accomplished seems worth much. Case 1 was treated first in an institution for delinquents where every effort was made to cure her disease and where she was taught to employ herself in constructive work. It was found she had ability to design and this was used to the utmost then her lying tendencies were checked by social disapprobation as much as possible a special effort was made toward this the girl was undoubtedly made more serious-minded by the after-effects of her experience and perhaps by her disease she was later successfully handled at home by her sensible mother leaving the years of adolescent instability behind her was also undoubtedly a factor in betterment case four was taken in hand by a sterling character who restrained very carefully the tendency to lying and by firm methods showed her the social advantages of self-control in this respect at the same time she was given a vastly better environment particularly in the matter of her friends however there is little doubt that nothing would have been accomplished in this case without first a deep understanding of the girl's troubles and of her mental conflicts Case 7 was treated for her sex difficulties under the constant care of a vigorous mother, who first naturally had to gain an understanding of the case. With her bettered physical and mental conditions, the girl was able steadily to hold a position for which earlier she had no capacity. Betterment in Case 14 came about mainly as the result of an understanding of the child's mental conflicts and somewhat through partially bettered environmental conditions we learned lately that the severe visual defect had been neglected in case fifteen the false accusations were made upon the basis of mental conflict investigation of the case followed by the personal services of a probation officer and by the legal proceedings served to clear up conditions including those of the family in general so that the girl was given a greater chance of success case nineteen seems to have been largely cured through the girl herself being able to work out her mental conflicts. Adolescence was a factor, and she was tided over this period in a good environment and with friends who understood her type of case and who were willing to put up with her aberrancies for this time. 
although we would not minimize the efforts of stalwart friends we may say that there were more evidences of cure by self-help in this case than in any other we have seen lest we should seem to be placing too much emphasis upon adolescence with the idea that the mere passing of that period will lead to change in behavior we cite cases three five and six where the addition of years has brought no betterment in neither of these was the essential nature of the difficulty explored during earlier troublous periods an interesting consideration for treatment is embodied in the rational idea of utilizing the special powers so that there may be ample gratification in self-expression and in use of the imagination through this new satisfaction there may be a mental swerving from the previous paths strewn with pitfalls the inclination to verbal composition already spoken of as existing in so many cases may be utilized and imagination be given full sway in harmless directions it seems likely that just this deliberate practice may serve to more clearly demarcate truth from falsehood in the individual's mind unfortunately we have had too little actual proof of the value of this method some cases being worked on now are too recent for report but there is plenty of indication of the possibilities had we been able to control environment better much more of this type of work would have been carried out a favorable outcome through this constructive treatment based upon utilizing the characteristic linguistic powers of the pathological liar is witnessed to by stemmerman in her history of delbrook's g n in the history of this case a delightful note of comedy is struck g n was found to be a man of considerable literary ability he had been observed over the period of thirteen years after he was first studied he twice managed to go three years without succumbing to his falsifying tendencies and then found his chance for leading a blameless life by becoming a newspaper man in fact he reached an honored place as an editor stemmerman suggests naively that perhaps this calling is especially calculated to give the talents correlated with pseudologia fantastica space for free play so that the individual's special abilities may not come in conflict with the law or with social customs and on the other hand may be utilized in fruitful pursuits altogether one could certainly advise every effort being made towards specifically stabilizing the pathological liar in the matter of truth-telling by checking the springs of misconduct and by diverting energies and talents into their most suitable channels the problem must ever be one for individual therapy failures of treatment there may be but from our study we are much inclined to believe that well-calculated constructive efforts will achieve goodly success among those who are mentally normal this is the end of chapter six and the end of pathological lying accusation and swindling as a whole read by mary schneider in havana florida in september of twenty ten